it sucks that money that you're working hard for today in 20 years if we stick to uh the uh inflation uh targets that central banks have will anyway be worth half of what it's worth today right? yeah and uh and bitcoin can protect you from that hi everyone and welcome to the next episode of the bitcoin collective podcast with me jim and no jordan this is your journey into bitcoin macroeconomics and sound money and you know what I say that at the beginning of every single episode, Bitcoin, macroeconomics and sound money. And right now, today, as I record this pod on this Tuesday, the 27th of September at 10.06 UK time, it's never been more relevant. It has never been more relevant in terms of what's going on. And I'm going to discuss a lot of that with my next guest. I'm delighted to have a young man who I've got great respect for. I love the fact that he takes action. I love the fact that he puts himself out there. He could go away and work for Accenture or, or be a, a management consultant, pocket himself 150 grand a year and just be like the rest of us out there. But he's moved outside that. He's moved outside his comfort zone and he's got a belief and he's re-educated himself. Pierre Corbin, how are you? Hi. Yeah. Hi, Jim. Thanks for the introduction and thanks for having me. And Pierre, I don't think people realize that. I mean, you've actually made a movie. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> and crazy. It's, it's one of the most easy watching, understandable, smart, perspicacious pieces of documentary I think I've ever seen. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks a lot. So tell us about, tell us a little bit about you and where are you today? Yeah, so, um, so I'm, I'm Pierre Corbin. I'm uh, French and Spanish, but I've lived most of my life in Poland. So, you know, just traveling, moving around is uh, kind of what I'm used to. And um, yeah, over a year ago, I just uh, quit my corporate job to try and do something in the Bitcoin. And um I just came up with the idea of making a documentary film. Uh, no experience in doing that ever before. Um, just, um, I don't know, always uh, was into filmmaking, into film editing, and uh, came up uh, with the right story and then just put all the work in it for the research and putting all the editing together. Wow. And today, where I am, I'm in Warsaw today. The sky is very great, but at least there's good light on me. <laughs> So you so you're in um you're in Poland today. <clears throat> yes, that's so right. So I've got no concept. So all I know is that a lot of Polish people have come to the UK and to Scotland. They've got a terrific work ethic and mm. they but they've come, they've moved out of Poland. So what is it like living in Poland? I think um I mean the the weather in winter can be suck. In summer it's very nice though, it's very hot. Um people Unlike where I come from, you know, France and Spain, they're a bit uh, a bit colder in the first uh, approach. Um, that's just the way their culture is. But, uh, you know, once you get to know Polish people, they'll just open every door and, uh, um, you know, will offer you everything they have. So, uh, no, really good people, very productive too, and with good work ethics in general and all around it. What I mean by that is even working in corporations, um, there was, you know, 
uh, they were quite strict about working hours always sticking to them unlike uh, what it can be in france where it's standard to work until 7 or 8 p.m and for no reason literally so um you know there's a yeah i think it's very a balanced country very balanced country uh, it's very safe the streets are clean it's uh no it's very nice okay pierre so i mean you're a young man you're a lot younger than me you've got that um you've got that european background obviously you, how many languages do you speak uh fluently four wow so that's going to be french spanish english and polish oh my goodness <laughs> even even that bamboozles me so you you were in corporate land and i know people in corporate land i know a lot of people who are in there they work for the likes of kpmg or accenture or you know bain some of the big you know, all the different consultancies they make good money they're on that they're on that tread wheel and it's just like non-stop and then they're waiting for those big bonuses and and it kind of consumes them. I know guys have been in it for 10 or 15 years and you know what? They've got lovely houses. They've got nice houses in Ascot down in England or Windsor and they're doing really well. But you kind of feel like, you're like what are you actually contributing? You know, where are you going? Did you have any of those thoughts? Yeah, a lot of them actually, but at different times in uh, my corporate career too, right? Because I think uh, you're a lot in the, this corporate environment that is full of uh, internal uh, propaganda, let's say, uh, where you know it's all about the greater good and you get daily emails of what's going on, what are we doing as a company for the greater good? But I think all of it is really a bit of an illusion right because in the end you work for just big corporations big clients that uh, yeah that was kind of the problem that i had the last project that was on when i worked at accenture it was for microsoft and you know it was a bit of a what am i doing here am i helping uh, microsoft automate processes and potentially save i don't know a couple millions a euro or can i work on something slightly more important i mean extremely more important that is that is bitcoin and uh yeah i just had this moment where um i didn't see it anymore it didn't feel important what i was doing and i was just working on accounting systems automating stuff it was uh yeah um i felt useless basically. yeah even though it was important for microsoft for this to be done you know and i understand it if i were to run my business i would also <laughs> do it like this but i just i disconnected from from that vision and um and i think that there's quite a few people that are in this day-to-day uh, -day rat race right um i always felt like uh, i didn't have the um the exact same psychological approach i felt like i was uh, positively minded inside of this rat race but again that was also just illusions that was just me putting the right carrot in front of me yeah and that story that you're telling is similar to, I would say, lots of people who've gone out and then done something special after it. I recall oh, 30 odd years ago, I was a police officer and I got promoted to sergeant and it's all I wanted. I wanted to get promoted. I wanted to be a senior officer. I thought that was really important. And when I got it, I realised how crap it was um, having to deal with you know, this the system and the way that some I just I just didn't work. And at that point I left 
and I left this glittering career and I just got out of it. Um, and from there, I've kind of done my best stuff and enjoyed life in a different way. So big respect to you for doing that. I want to pick up on something you said there, yeah. Pierre, that you talked about. And it doesn't matter the belief system or the culture or the whatever's going on, the, you know, the internal branding and marketing, but you, you said you felt it was just an illusion. And I'd like to I'd like to move that forward to today. And do you not think that the with what's going on in the Federal Reserve, the European Central Bank, the Bank of England, that it's just an illusion as well? I th- I think so. It's um it's kind of if you think of layers in our economy. They have to secure the base layer of it, which is the money. Yeah. But they can't secure any of it. The only thing they can do is give the illusion that they're securing it, right? Because clearly they're out of control. Um, and and if they lose this first level illusion, I think every other illusion that comes behind it can can break down. Because right now, sure it makes sense to um be part of this system of illusions uh, because you can be a corporate employee and you know earn good, good for your family, you know, like it allows you to have a comfortable life. And uh, this is, uh, you know, it's great, it's honorable. Um, but as soon as uh, your money system breaks, then every other illusion that you have around you and how you earn this money and how you spend it just also breaks down. So, yeah, I think it's a matter of uh, how long can uh, the central banks hold this uh, illusion alive. And I think in Europe, it's, um, I mean, actually, Everywhere else, uh, let's say in the UK, in Europe, in Japan, I mean, we've seen how their currencies are dropping just in the, I mean, okay, it's been happening for a while, but the past two weeks are really aggressive. Um, so this illusion is breaking, I think, internationally. I mean, people realize that like now the euro is at 96 cents of the dollar. It's, uh, yeah, <clears throat> people are losing money and they start realizing it, right? And central banks can't hold this illusion any longer, I think. I, I recall, Pierre, I think it was 1992, I could be wrong, it was either 1990 or 1992, around about that time, when the UK had Black Friday or Black Tuesday, whatever it was, when Chancellor at the time had to put interest rates, I think he put them up to like 15%, because it was just nuts. He was trying to stabilise the pound, and it just didn't work. Mm. And at that time, it was like, oh my goodness, it's the end of the world, but they seemed to have recovered it again. And here we are again with the same old, the same old, same old. And the, the the media, the business media, the financial media reporting the same old. It's almost that they're part of it and they, they, they don't want to look outside the system of illusions. Yeah. Well, because it's not in their interest, right? I yeah. think that, that, that's what's happening, right? Like there's just the... But I also understand the fact that getting out of the system that we have now, even though it's failing... Uh, today more aggressively than it could have failed in the past because you know they've been economic crisis as you mentioned it uh, um, for I mean centuries literally so I think uh, now is just um, maybe a bit worse when it comes to the consequences on fiat money but um, but it's just um, part of the normal cycle and uh, I lost my train of thought there uh, what's the last thing that you mentioned so, so I think what I want to move this on to is we are where we are in this system of illusions. 
and the media are playing their part in that. But one of the important things that I thought that came out in the movie that you did, The Great Reset, you talked about Bitcoin is going to be the black hole. It's going to swallow everything in. And I talk to people at that and I tell people, and I, I think people, I think people in my circle think I'm an idiot or they think I'm some sort of prophet that, you know, or, or they want to lock me up and put me in a, in a hospital because I keep telling them, this is what's going to happen in the system you live in. And you clocked out very on in terms of the movie, because that's one of the one of the early things you talk about in the movie. Yeah, because it's the idea that um, with everything, uh, uh, you know, breaking apart, whether it's our financial system, our monetary system, our knowledge system, um, and we're seeing it now, every single currency in, in, in the world is uh, dropping against the dollar. And uh, so it's a hypothesis, right? That I lay out in, in the film. It's a Bitcoiner hypothesis. In fact, I think a lot of it, I didn't come up with this, right? I just put it all together into this yeah. format. But the idea is that um, the dollar is going to be theoretically the last currency to stand, the last fiat currency to stand. Because it's at the heart of our financial system. It's the biggest and in different formats ledger that exists when it comes to uh, exchanging money around the world. So, uh, and the US know it and they have a strong power and they can increase their interest now, uh, interest rates now, even if it's just as a bluff, uh, because it will force the US dollar to be a stronger currency while everyone is in trouble. So it allows the US dollar to remain strong. Right. But while every other currency is dropping, it means that people are going to slowly start. And it doesn't mean individuals. I'm talking, you know, investment banks, banks, insurance companies, uh, mutual funds and whatever. Yeah. Uh, retirement funds. They're going to start moving their assets into uh, dollar denominated assets or into the dollar directly because it's better than holding their uh, local fiat shitcoin. Uh, yeah. And uh, and so everything is going to move into the dollar, but the dollar is ultimately also failing. There's huge uh, inflation, and I don't see a way for governments to get out of it without producing more inflation by printing more money. And so the idea is that every fiat currency is going to go into the US dollar, and then later on, it's all going to go into Bitcoin. But that's the hopeful scenario, I have to say, because uh, uh, I think uh, not a lot of governments are going to let that happen, right? Yeah. <laughs> it goes it against would... their own interests. Absolutely, and that's so that that therein lies therein lies the title of the film, The Great Reset. And I was I was I think people think that one day they'll just wake up and it'll just have happened. But essentially, what they're trying to do just now, and correct me if I'm wrong, is they're trying to introduce central bank digital currencies. So that that Christine Lagarde wants a big style, doesn't she? She is just oh oh. How do I, how do I how do I say her name without swearing and cursing and and being rude? Anyway, yeah, I always did the table when I said. <laughs> so she she wants to do it. They're talking about it over at the Fed, you know, the Fed coin, mm. and, and essentially that's part of the Great Reset, isn't it? Because while everything else is failing, they're going to put us into this other basket where they can uh, maintain control. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Because I think. So the purpose of CBDCs, I think there's there's two things out of it. First off, it can be just a, a good media campaign, 
that can you know promote the efforts that they are doing in order to become more modern um uh adapt to the new digital world which is i mean it's all bullshit right because the money that we use is already digital in a sense right i mean yeah well i heard i last time i used cash was uh a few weeks ago like literally i hardly use uh use cash so we're already digital but uh central banks can um push these cbcs as as this new technology that is better more efficient and so on based on what you know cryptocurrencies are um but it's all just an illusion, right? For people, there is no difference in the way they're going to be using it. And in fact, there comes the second point, which is, as you mentioned it, more control. That, I mean, I think we saw there was last week already some uh, images that came from China um, of uh, the digital U1, but they were uh, releasing new ones uh, with expiry dates. And of course, it's going to happen. Like we knew it was going to happen. And literally, not only was it uh you know let's say uh, an educated guess from bitcoiners and people that researched that topic uh the european central bank literally expressed that uh so i think uh yeah it's gonna lead to um a bad future i think <laughs> and we yeah. have to find it uh especially that there's bitcoin right there right like um so informing people about cbdc's is uh and, and they're gonna come at an accelerated rhythm i think outside of the us first because the U.S. Um, I mean, they're 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 winning out of the uh, you know if they just let CBDCs happen around the world, it allows them to observe it while remain their freedom, and they're not as aggressive when it comes to the moves they were doing with CBDCs as they can be in uh, in Europe, right? I mean, they recently uh, uh, announced the Fed now, right? But that's not a CBDC. It's it's getting there, but it's just how transfers can be done between the businesses and, and other banks. So it's not created for individuals. It's just to yeah. uh, uh, business transfers faster. That's the start, right? We'll see what, what happens. But they're not a, as much a, in a hurry as the European Central Bank is, for example, because they have the US dollar. And um, right now, um, what is a risk for uh, the ECB, for example, I think is more the US-based stable coins um, because they can control the banking <clears throat> they can control the banking system in order to make sure that people you know have a limited access to the us dollar uh, so they can transfer their euro to the us dollar in a more difficult way to avoid a monetary leakage whereas with stable coins there is no control so it's it's an easier exit for them and i think <clears throat> sorry um and I think that's why uh, it's more important for them to push for CBDCs than it is for the U.S. Because yeah. there is an interest for everyone to move on to stable coins. But for the U.S., it still makes the U.S. dollar stronger, even indirect, right? It keeps yeah. their hegemony there. It keeps their status in the world where it is because people are still using the U.S. dollar just in a different form. Um, yeah, so I think that's a positive thing. You know, there's different um, incentives for different players and it allows it to be not a such a a global uh, initiative that is pushing it all at the same time, but can have some delay that allows to observe and maybe, um, you know, uh, allow some players to avoid going in that direction. That's, I find this kind of hopeful. It, so it's almost like they're treating us as if we're in a Petri dish in a lab and there'll be little Petri dishes of CB, uh, central bank digital currencies in little places and they'll watch it 
and they'll add something to the petri dish or take something away and they'll watch your behaviours and see what lands well and what doesn't. My my question is, I'm I'm guessing you're a millennial. Uh, yeah, I'm born in '92. And as I'm, I'm looking at the millennials and I'm hoping that the millennials are going to save us. So if you look around you, your cohort, do you feel that they are, are they, are they, ply, are they just being pliable and just taking it or are they, are you, are your generation questioning things? Uh, I'd say mixed, you know, I, yeah. I don't think there's so much, there's not enough questioning in my opinion. Um, yeah. There's, um, you know, um, there's this understanding that, of course, we're with such high inflation. In Poland, there's a 13% inflation, for example, right? Oh, really? Yes. So, you know, people realize that that's a bad situation, that, uh, um, you know, there's something wrong with the way our system works, and I'll get into conversations where people complain about the situation that we're in, right? But not necessarily question what are the actual uh, things happening in the background. Uh, now, you know, around my closer friends, uh, everyone's watched my film. So, you know, to some extent, uh, they kind of understand what kind of questioning there could be. But I, I think uh, not enough because people just, uh, you know, what matters to them is also if there's a 13% inflation, and they don't necessarily understand it's exactly like that. But if there's 13% inflation compared to last year, it means that they're 13% poorer. Yeah. And what so they don't exactly understand this relationship, but they understand that it's bad for them and that yeah. they hustle some more to get some more money, right? And so I think they just focus on that basically as well as they can, right? Because uh, I think uh, it's not really possible, and I think anyway, in the end, it's going to lead to more fiat printing and supporting people. Because I mean, yeah, how can we stop such an inflation when that's literally what our economy needs in the current uh, situation? So. So, so bringing it back to Bitcoin, so something mm -hmm. must have, you must have seen something in Bitcoin and you must feel something in terms of where you believe the sound money principles of Bitcoin can go. But it always, almost feels like people like you, Pierre, myself, who's come to Bitcoin after up in a roundabout way, mm -hmm. and a lot of the people that we follow on Twitter who are very clever, and it's almost like we're very early. But we're, but there's a fight ahead. It's not going to be easy. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, because there's all these incentives for Bitcoin to fail, basically, right? And it's all the it's the most incentivized people that uh, are also the most powerful people. So that's um, I think uh, it's just going to take a, a long time. But it's okay, you know. Like how quickly can we expect a financial revolution, right? Yeah, um, it's just um, it, it's interesting to see the situation that we're in today and the actual solution that Bitcoin represents compared to when I started my interest in Bitcoin. I had a completely different opinion of what Bitcoin was, why it mattered. And, and I also had a bit of a roundabout experience. I mean, when I got into Bitcoin, I originally got into crypto, actually. Uh, yeah. Only then, you know, you go through the understanding. And, yes. Uh, you know, losing some money and realize really, that's actually all like based on the same like shit rules. There's only one thing that works, right? Yes. And, uh, and you know, and the more you dig into it, the more like, yeah, you, you realize it. I, I got into uh, Bitcoin because uh, what mattered to me was the price and the fact that it can go up right now. 
in every content <clears throat> that I put out, articles, videos, I never talk about the price. I mean, that's not what matters in the end. I try to explain really the, the base layer elements of Bitcoin that make it such a hard asset for the future. Um, so it's uh, because that's where it matters, right? I mean, the price, obviously, like uh, if I can get the price to go up and through helping people understand it and trying to get their own financial dependence, this will benefit me too, because I own some Bitcoin. But, um, you know, there's so much more to Bitcoin beyond that, that yeah. this is where where it actually matters. It's the revolution behind it. And in that revolution and in that fight, it's really interesting today. So if you think about what's going on in the world today in terms of the US dollar, um, inflation, the Great British Pound, everything we've been talking about, Reuters. Reuters comes out today with a, a piece saying, yes, Bitcoin's not quite carbon neutral yet, not living up to its green credentials. You're like, eh, is that the best you can come up with on this week? You have a go at Bitcoin. It must be it must be annoying you, Reuters, if you if that's what you're going to do. Yeah. And this 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 is what this is the continual fight you've caught. Mm. <laughs> they just don't want to, do they? It's you know it's it's lies basically, and uh, yeah, I, I don't know. There's it's just so dishonest. I, it's hard to. I mean, the, you know, there's Reuters, I think you can't trust uh, anymore, right? Which is crazy because it's one of the oldest media organizations, right? And yeah, like, yeah. And they are the ones that are responsible for so much fact-checking online, right? So it's, yeah, um, yeah I, I, I struggle to understand really who writes this, what are their incentives, and uh, who are they being paid by? Paid by. That's, that's what it is in the end. Like, you just look for one second at the data that is out there about Bitcoin, and you see that it's the cleanest industry that there is, is the, the one that has the uh, most, uh, uh, um, I mean, the greatest mix of renewables and, and general uh, the right energies. And I think uh, the, what's very interesting is the people that are putting a lot of content out there when it comes to the fact that it could become a carbon, what's the word? Not carbon neutral, but carbon negative or positive. Yeah, yeah because um, according to... Um, environmental uh, global environmental rules um, uh, using the methane that is produced around the world is makes it carbon well what's the word then carbon negative right because that it, it removes because uh, the methane otherwise would be released in the air and yeah. it, has, it contains more co2 than co2 itself so it's better to use the methane and bitcoin miners are doing that and that's a correct for them to push that right and it means that the whole bitcoin industry could become according to these environmental rules the first industry that is carbon negative which and, it's, is, and, it, and it's trying it's interesting that all the all the miners they're all trying that and they're moving towards it and it probably it may take a year or two or three I know that marathon mining are setting mm. up some mega solar uh, plant down in Texas to make sure that they hit these targets in the future. But when we see the media, and I saw Bloomberg put something out last week as well, I just shake my head, mm. and the Financial Times did the same. And you think about all, as you say, what they've got to lose in this whole sand pit that they play in. We are early. And I want to bring you back to El Salvador. Mm. So El Salvador is going ahead and doing what it's doing. And then, as you've right, you commented before, 
the American government have put a bill out on El Salvador because it's going Bitcoin. Now, my question to you is, Pia, do you think that other smaller countries are going to do what El Salvador is doing? Um, So I think think likely, um, but it might take a little while too. I think first, you know, people want to, I mean, other governments would want to observe exactly what... um, how it works for El Salvador, because there's a difference between just letting it happen and taking the approach that El Salvador took, right? Because El Salvador just kind of forced it on their population, forced it in the sense that they just forced on the fact that Bitcoin is going to be used uh, uh, throughout the country, right? People can choose to use it or not, right? Um, but there's a difference between taking that approach and just letting it happen, right? And for now, you can see that in the region, there's, you know, more of this letting it happen. There's in Guatemala, there's Bitcoin Lake that is being uh, built, inspired by Bitcoin Beach. And I'm, you know, based off Twitter, they does work. They're still active and they get financing and, you know, they I think they'll be able to build something there. In Honduras, there's uh, um, already the in the, um, uh, independent uh, cities that exist. And one of them is, you know, Bitcoin only. There's also the more towards the north of the country, close to the border with El Salvador, there's a couple of towns that started adopting Bitcoin just themselves in order to try and attract uh, more tourism because that's what they see worked in El Salvador. So I think, um, you know, there's there's two different approaches and we're seeing both happening. And before the government there just says openly, we adopt Bitcoin, they want to observe what happens with El Salvador because you know, Naib Bukele is uh, showing the middle finger to the IMF quite. Yeah. He did it openly on Twitter. Um, the same thing uh, to the US that is uh, trying to, you know, control, I mean, observe uh, what kind of risks their adoption of Bitcoin could represent for the US economy, which is a lot of bullshit. Um, and I think uh, um, that, you know, they have to see that it's worth turning your back to the financial system. I think last week or two weeks ago, Salvador, they also announced that they're going to be buying their uh, international debt, uh, which no nation does it, right? But that's I know. Sorry. And that, that, that blew me away. Yeah. That blew, that, so, so folks, you might hear some background music, some background noise from my microphone. I've got some stuff going on where I'm recording. But yeah. look, Pierre, that blew me away when they came out and said, we're going to buy back your debt. I was like, hold on a minute. America doesn't want that. They want you to have debt. Yeah. Gonna, so it looks like these volcano bonds that people are actually going to finance the country so they can do that, so it can move away from IMF loans. That's like a first, isn't it? Yes, I think so. And it's, um, I mean, I know that there was a similar situation that happened in Chile uh, in the 70s, where uh, the president there was also gaining the uh, financial independence of uh, the uh, country. And I mean, he was flagged as a, as a, um, you know, a dictator and maybe he was, but in the end, it ended poorly for them. Um, yeah. I'm more hopeful when it comes to uh, El Salvador because it's uh, about Bitcoin behind it, you know, and Bitcoin, I mean, you can't just take someone else's Bitcoin that can be sent to the other side of the world instantly. I think it's easier to to defend like that. Um, but it is mind blowing. Yeah, uh, it's uh, I think it's very powerful if you compare it to um, Argentina that just last year took a one billion dollar loan from the IMF oh. in exchange of 
blocking Bitcoin and crypto adoption, right? Like it's, uh, I think uh, they're in the completely opposite direction that El Salvador is in terms of uh, uh, regaining their uh, nation's sovereignty. And I think that that's, uh, that's something powerful for El Salvador that they have a president that wants to do that. And I mean, I think numbers don't lie. He's literally the most popular president that they've had in modern history and that the region itself has, right? And then you think the, back to basics and back to uh, the basic principles of the, how society should work, I guess. And if, and if you think about um, what he's done there and not wanting to take IMF loans. So the International Monetary Fund, it's not as if it's sitting there with like billions in the bank. It gets its money from other players who say, here's how we want this money spent so that they can extend economic and social control over different countries. Yeah. Just like you said there, here, Argentina, if you want this money, you have to do this, this, and this. And you're like, okay, so there's lots of strings that come with that. Yeah. So so, so in your movie, um, The Great Reset, it's just, it's really well done. And for me, it was that, it was that kind of moment, Pierre, when in the Wizard of Oz movie, when you're the wizard skipping, go, lo, 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 it all looks very good. And I think it's Toto goes up and like opens the curtain and you can see the guy pulling the levers behind it. And that's exactly this. The, it goes back to these moments of illusions that you're talking about just now. And I'm like, oh my goodness. But it, it feels like now we've crossed the chasm. People can see that a lot of people are beginning to perk up to what's going on. Mm. But the next, tell me a little bit about your next project. Yeah, so... The next project is, um, you know, th the first one was focused more on uh, uh, how it matters to the individual um, and, you know, explaining really what is inflation because uh, there's a big misunderstanding about it, right? You're like, I mean, I, I have a master's degree in finance and I did not study the proper definition of inflation while I was studying, right? There's just a, it's just there. It's something that we're supposed to accept since the moment we're born. And it doesn't matter that we understand what it is because that's just the way our system is and we have to accept it, right? Sometimes there's more, sometimes there, there's less. So I think I really want to explain that all of this and what leads to inflation. And uh, it's uh, quite interesting because my film was released before these crazy inflation numbers that, that we see now, right? So it points that, yes, it's this kind of behavior that, that leads to it, not necessarily, you know, put inflation uh, or other such um, events that, of course, accelerate it. Um, and, um, and then how Bitcoin can be a solution for individuals, right? And in this film, I really want to get more into the nation state part of it and um, study who are the actors that are trying to fight uh, Bitcoin in order to strengthen their local, uh, um, uh, you know, money, uh, but mostly the US dollar. So it's called the fight for the US dollar, right? So it's who is fighting for our system to remain the way it is and who is fighting Bitcoin directly as this alternative. So um, yeah, yeah, that's that's what it is. I'm raising money on Kaiser actually for that. So if ever, I'll just plug it in. If uh, any of your viewers is uh, is listening on, on to this, then uh, go uh, drop us some sets. It'll be really appreciated. So um, help us make the film. And, um, and, and you know, and to, to focus on these stories, so rather than the individual part now going higher level and explaining the you know some of the historical elements that led 
countries like El Salvador and Central America in particular, you know, there'll be a focus there because that's where there's this adoption at nation state level that is visible. Um, and it's a great example in showing that, you know, the US has been, I mean, they've led to the uh, destruction and impoverishment of the population there. And uh, through, you know, the banana republics and just uh, making the these nations completely uh, addicted to the help that they get from the US uh, financially and so on. Um, so um, I think, uh, yeah, it's important to be able to go back to the historical elements and that's now what the US is doing with El Salvador and this uh, Accountability for El Salvador Act is just a continuation of what they've been doing and just make sure that they control the Western Hemisphere. And it goes beyond that and there are other um, nations that take the same role, that try and take the same role, right? There's China, what they've been doing for like the past two decades of uh, easily, uh, you know, uh, giving debt around the world, building, especially in, you know, African countries, for example, building airports, universities, and so on. And that slowly gets these nations into the, you know, monetary yeah. world of China. And there's also France in Central African Republic. You know? And so, you know, there's just different actors, different stories that I think are worth explaining because we don't live in a world the way we imagine it, that, uh, you know, I'm born French and I'm just in France and France does their thing and we have a president that controls stuff. In fact, no, there's like much more, many more global players that will determine certain rules that we see at home. And, uh, and I think it's important to, you know, make people realize that you can quickly get into like some conspiracy theories kind of things. Right. But it's just a matter of uh, showing the facts. And that's what I like about a long format film is that if you're having a conversation with someone and telling this stuff, you can go all over the place with uh, them, you know, not having the same information as you. And then it's your facts against my facts. It's a difficult yeah. conversation to have. But it's necessarily productive. Being able to put this in, you know, a long format film as the person sit down and view all the facts in one go. And uh, I think it's uh, it's more powerful in terms of messaging. I think when I was listening to you talking, there, I was, I, I'd, I'd heard a news article during the night about Apple. And Apple has also been in bed with China. And that, you know, your, your Apple iPhone is, is dreamt up in, in California, but it's made in China. And now Apple are now going to move away and the next iPhones, et cetera, are going to be made in India. Right. And they've come out with that announcement today, which is a big coup for India, but it's moving that as, you know, China's, China has been silent on the Ukraine war. China has been quietly making a lot of money and hasn't really played the game in terms of America's, you know, if what we're happy to source our cheap goods from, you'd be happy to play the game, but they're not playing the game. So Apple are now going to go to India. And I thought that's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That's for sure. I agree. Uh, it's, I think it's just, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm guessing they're getting the right deals, right? Uh, yeah. But, uh, for sure. And, and, and they're going to protect, you know, I've, I, I mean, what, what influence has the American government perhaps had on that decision? That get your shit out of China and get it somewhere else. Otherwise, um, we'll shut you down. Yeah. Okay, so you're coming to the conference in the UK. You're coming to Edinburgh. You're going to, we're going to see some of the movie. Um, and and folks, I would urge you, if you want, it's not a heavy, heavy 
boring, slow documentary. It's just like non-stop. You go, oh my goodness, I can't go, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, because so many different things come up on it. So go Google The Great Reset and watch the movie because you can watch it online. Um, but you're, So you're coming. What are your, what, I, I, have you been to other conferences around the world? Uh, I've been to the Miami conference that there was uh, in April. How was that? Uh, Sorry? How was that? It was so uh, massive, actually. Uh, and uh, But it was great, you know, there's just the opportunity to meet a bunch of, I mean, there there wasn't only Bitcoin, there was a lot of just crypto guys, NFT guys, and so on. Uh, but just the opportunity to meet a lot of people. And uh, it was cool, very dynamic, a lot of partying, you know, it was the real Miami, uh, yeah. Miami Beach vibe. Uh, so that was... Uh, no, that that was very really good. Uh, and but that's the only one I've been to, uh, to be honest. And while I was there, I did organize a screening of my film, uh, where about a hundred people came by. So that was uh, oh good, that was really cool. I, I I think what will happen, Pierre, in the future is your move. People will at some point there'll be a bit of a run in your movie, and people will start to look at it, and people will be sharing it because they'll realize what's happening. It's almost like your movie's too early. You're signposting yeah. it now. <laughs> Yes, 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 definitely. But you know, it's uh, it's 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 interesting how it's happening so much more internationally. Just on Sunday evening, I was on a uh, on a live stream in Brazil because there's a, a Brazilian community of Bitcoiners that just really loved the film and wanted to absolutely make it available in Portuguese. So they when they did the subtitles, but then they went and did the whole dubbing, and they were streaming it live on Sunday. And the, I mean, they're so passionate, right? And they, that's, uh, I mean, great. Like, you know, how funny it feels that like you're invited as a guest to a stream uh, to talk with the people that like translate it. It's so humbling uh, that they put so much effort into sharing film further. And there's, uh, I'm in the talks with the guy from Costa Rica that wants to organize a screening of my film there. Um, Brilliant. Same thing in uh, in Bulgaria now. Uh, before coming to uh, Edinburgh, I'll be in Sofia for a conference there, and uh, they, you know, they want to organize a screening there. So it's uh, they, it's great to see all of this, uh, and that even you know months after the film was released, there's still yeah. still hype around it, and people still see that <coughs> worth sharing. Okay, so I'm going to ask you some some um, quick fire questions. So just we're just going to finish off with this. Yeah. If you could sum up Bitcoin, if you were to explain Bitcoin to a newbie or a new person, what? how would you explain it that it's for all? So I think what matters then is to explain the relationship. This um, Greg Foss is really good at that. Uh, and he opened my mind with that a lot. It's explain simply the relationship between um, the, well, inflation basically, and, and how Bitcoin relates to that. The fact that Bitcoin, there will never be more of it. And on the other side, you have fiat currencies that can just increase, you know, indefinitely. There will always be more of it. And Bitcoin is the only thing in the world that has 21 million and never more. And if you increase the supply of money on the other side of the equation, then obviously it's going to make Bitcoin more valuable. And I think that's something that anyone can understand, right? You can literally, uh, just last week, there was a screening of my film here in Poland, and I was explaining this concept to someone just putting glasses in front of me. You know, there was one glass was Bitcoin, one glass is fiat, and then you can just add more glasses of fiat 
So it means that Bitcoin will be more valuable, right? Because yeah, so that's a funny way. And um, so I think this, everyone understands it, right? And everyone understands the fact that you, it sucks that money that you're working hard for today in 20 years, if we stick to uh, the uh, inflation uh, targets that central banks have, will anyway be worth half of what it's worth today, right? Yeah. And uh, and Bitcoin can protect you from that. And on top of that, it can it allows you to do international transfers. Like literally, <laughs> you can yourself do international transfers. This is not possible up until Bitcoin. I work with the um, a girl from Algeria, and I pay her in Sats, and she receives the payments instantly. Yeah. Like for me to do this transfer through the normal banking system would take nightmare. It's a nightmare. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So that's a, a summary of Bitcoin. Tell us a little bit about the what you're looking forward to about coming to the Edinburgh conference. Um, I, well, first off, Edinburgh. I've been to Edinburgh before, and I love the place. So, uh, um, yeah, and and just be able to uh, be there with some Bitcoiners that I know, others that I hope to meet again, uh, uh, meet for the first time, and um, also I'll be uh, well recording part of my next film uh, during the conference. Amazing. So it's the kind interviews there and so on. It's amazing. And there's some great people that I hope you'll be able to do some of the some of the speakers are phenomenal. Mm. So and after the conference, so if you were if you were flying home or on a train away from the conference, what feeling would you want to have having had those two days? Um a little tired, you know, because it means that I have been the socially active enough. Because that's yeah. what it is at these conferences about meeting people and uh, yeah. <clears throat> and also excited by the potential new opportunities or new contacts that I can have had there. Uh, so yeah, a lot of excitement, you know, wanting to arrive and organize the next steps of the work that I want to put out there, you know, through content, through through whatever. So yeah, tired and excited. Okay. And finally, so for someone who speaks four languages, if I was to say to you, can you name a couple of tunes, a couple of songs that you just love in life? <laughs> uh, the, so I'm a big fan of Eminem. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, I can. I rap to a lot of Eminem. <laughs> Pretty cool. So, Pierre, I can't wait to see you. It's only about four weeks away. Yeah. I think over the next 10 years, your filmmaking... Um, is going to is going to be so widely received throughout the world in terms of the actual subject, and we need more people like you to orange pill more millennials so that they've got a better understanding of the Wizard of Oz and what's going on behind yeah. the curtain. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you today. An hour has flown in, and um, I just can't wait to see the conference. And so, how how do people get in contact with you or? Um, get to see the movie. Yeah, so the film is called The Great Reset and the Rise of Bitcoin. If uh, anyone just Googles this or on YouTube, you'll you'll find it. I mean, there's a, a bunch of different channels that also shared it uh, afterwards. And um, there's also my channel there on YouTube called The Great Reset Films. That's where I try to share updates on the, uh, the fundraiser that I'm doing, but also uh, on the research that we're doing because we're trying to open source our research. So you can check this out. And otherwise, on uh, on Twitter, you know, you can either follow me at Sierra Porbin, uh, or you can follow uh, the Great Reset Films as well, um, and where you know we just share everything. So yeah, definitely go check it out and stay uh, 
updated with all our content. I think I think we're going to we should call this podcast the System of Illusions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The System of Illusions. Pierre Corbin, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you very much, Jim, and I look forward to meeting you in person at the conference. <laughs>